friends, and welcome to episode 21 of She Existed, where we are now legal to drink. <laughs> uh, it's the podcast wherein I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, share the story of a woman of history and or legend previously unknown to me. Today I have sort of a thematic one for you. You see, two weeks ago, Adam and I moved to Torino, or Turin, as we'd say in English. It's been a kind of a whirlwind getting settled in, and the irony is that actually we're going to have to move again in just a few months because we're only in an Airbnb for the moment, but that move should be our last move for a long while. At least I really, really hope so. <laughs> so that is part of why I have not uh, released a podcast in a hot second. In honor of our new home, I'm going to tell you about Adelaide of Turin and Souza, a noblewoman who ruled as the Marchioness of Turin from 1034 until her death in 1091. Please note that she is not Adelaide of Italy, who is another important figure who lived about a century earlier, uh, but who also was married to an Otto as well as the Adelaide we're talking about today, so gotta love all of these naming conventions that keep shit real confusing for us. So from a kind of macro-historical context, Adelaide of Turin was pretty important historically as she was the last scion of the Arduinici family. Um, so a scion, which embarrassingly the first time I heard that term was in um, Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code. <laughs> but it's basically like the last heir, the last person of that family. So her holdings and area of influence um, of the Arduinici family formed the foundation of the Savoy family's power in this region, a family uh, whose dynasty began around the same time as the Arduinici family in the early 1000s, but lasted much, much, much longer. So the Savoys, if you aren't aware, ultimately became the Italian royal family after the unification of Italy in 1861. Oh, and weird fact that I didn't really know before, apparently the monarchy sort of co-ruled in Italy even through fascism. I don't know how that worked exactly. That's super weird. Um, but they were pretty buddy-buddy with Mussolini. And officially, the Savoys only stopped ruling Italy in 1946. So basically, post-fascism, Italy had a referendum to decide whether to go back to being just a plain old monarchy, just give it back to the Savoys full time, uh, or to become a republic. They voted Republic, and the rest is much more recent history. But there are still members of the Savoy family living today, although they mostly just seem to be bored rich people based in France with nothing better to do than fight each other over a throne that no longer exists. Like recently, one prominent member of the Savoys changed a medieval law so that his young daughter could inherit the throne. And a cousin was like, no way, that's not legit. And like, I guess it's a step forward to allow women to inherit even a theoretical throne, but actually, no, I changed my mind. Monarchies are exploitative relics of the past that need to stay in the past. And don't get me wrong, I can appreciate tradition, and obviously I love history or I wouldn't be here, but I'm really not sure why a handful of people get to have like, all of the monies because a thousand years ago their ancestors were bigger assholes than anyone else. Anyway, you know what? Actually, <laughs> there was an absolutely hysterical article in the New York Times about the supposed heiress to the Italian throne, the uh, teenage daughter we were just talking about, that I'm actually going to link to in the show notes, which I usually don't do, but it was way too funny not to share. The title of it is, quote, Paris Teenager's New Gig, Would-Be Queen of Italy, a nation shrugs. <laughs> I think that about sums it up for you. Um, 
Okay, so that's like a really quick and dirty digression about why Adelaide of Turin was really important in her time. She basically, through her family and through her uh, eventual marriage, gave the foundational holdings to the Savoy family so that they could then go and uh, be mocked in the New York Times today. Also, she is known as Adelaide of Turin, Adelaide of Susa, and Adelaide of Turin and Susa. Susa is a smaller town about 60 kilometers away from here, and originally it seems like it was a more important town than Turin, but by Adelaide's time, prominent members of her family, including her, were spending much more time in Turin than in Susa. Okay, let's dive into it. So she was born in Turin sometime between 1014 and 1020. She had two sisters, Emilia and Bertha, and may have had a brother who died and whose name is lost to history. But because of this unique situation, she, as the oldest child, and um, there were no sons left, she actually ended up inheriting most of her father's property when he died. The holdings ranged pretty far, but were largely based in Turin. We don't know a ton about her early life. I randomly found one resource that claimed she was like, a badass and given her own suit of armor as a child, but I found zero uh, real historical evidence for this, so I think someone just made that up, which I'm I'm not a fan of. You know that I like diving into things that maybe have been potentially obscured or changed um, and, and need to be revealed or at least um, entertained by us today, but like this is not that kind of thing. Um, that kind of thing would have been super, super uncommon at this time. And anyway, she seems like she had a pretty strong and tough personality, even without a childhood running around like a little little warrior princess lady. Now, inheritance at this time is a tricky and weird thing. It was not ideal to have only daughters, but probably the only less ideal thing to someone um, than that was to have your family name and holdings entitled it away to like a crappy lesser branch or something like that's that's what it's, it's like how it's way more insulting when like your sibling gets an award than like your friend because you just have like different dynamics there so I mean like the weird infighting today over whose spoiled Savoy teenager gets to inherit a throne that doesn't exist like that kind of bears this out um, so even though of course, Adelaide would end up getting married and marrying into a different family. You know, that that was better than, like, not letting her inherit it. So, okay. A lot of the, like, hardcore history facts about um, Adelaide have come from a book called The Early History of the House of Savoy, 1000 to 1233. Um, it's very thorough, very detailed kind of boring but but in a good way like it's good when a history book is boring because you know that they are giving you like facts (laughs) um at least as far as they know them and not embellishing too much but you know this is the work I do for you all but it was written by Charles Previte Orton uh maybe he's French English I don't I don't really know um but anyway we'll call him Charles So as Charles (laughs) says in um, the history of the House of Savoy, the early history of the House of Savoy, while Countess Adelaide was the real ruler and legal possessor of the Ardoine domains, the formal aspect of things was somewhat different. So this is kind of what I'm getting at where like inheritance is really weird because technically Adelaide was allowed to inherit all the stuff, all these holdings 
Um, but she wasn't really officially allowed to rule it, even if behind the scenes she was, because she was kind of a strong and badass woman. Um, but in fact, the official title that came to her, that of a margrave, had a lot of military responsibilities around it. So, of course, a woman at the time would not be expected nor allowed to fulfill this. So it was critical to marry her off as soon as possible. So there would be a man uh, to do the actual ruling and deciding and stuff, at least um, from kind of an external perspective, no matter what was happening behind the scenes. So ideally, they would then have kids, more ideally a boy, who would then get to be the blood heir to all the cool stuff that shouldn't have had to go to Adelaide in the first place, and everyone could collectively breathe a sigh of relief. Well, that is not exactly what happened. In fact, Adelaide's first and second husbands both died in fairly rapid succession. First, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor Conrad II's stepson, Herman IV, died in battle in 1038, just a year or maybe two after marrying Adelaide. They didn't have kids, uh, so Adelaide was kind of back to square one. Same issues. No later than 1042, she remarries one Henry, the Marquess of Montferrat, who also died pretty quickly thereafter. I don't know how. It doesn't say. I guess he wasn't important enough for them to write that down. Um, so they spared even less time this time around between marriages, but the third time was a charm, and in 1046, Adelaide marries Otto of Savoy. See? This is where those Savoys get those sweet, sweet Arduinici holdings, and they promptly have five kids, three sons and two daughters. Huzzah. Here's a quick little fun digression for you. Adelaide's two daughters, Bertha and Adelaide Jr., because again, we love recycling names, just like all the Cleopatras of yore, um, they each ended up marrying super big players in Germanic nobility, Henry IV and Rudolf of Rheinfelden. Henry was technically the Holy Roman Emperor, um, but Rudolf, who was originally one of his biggest supporters, uh, you know, the brother-in-law, eventually opposed him. Ultimately, the Pope sides with Rudolf and excommunicates Henry, like, multiple times. Um, we're going to get into this a lot more later because Adelaide is actually involved in this whole thing. And eventually, Rudolf defeats his brother-in-law on the battlefield, but then he himself dies of wounds sustained in the winning battle, like, within days of his victory. Womp womp. But anyway, I, for one, would love <laughs> to see, like, the family reunions and or letters between, like, Bertha and Adelaide Jr. and our Adelaide, their mother, just being like, what the fuck is happening here? Okay, back to our Adelaide. Otto of Savoy, uh, despite lending the name to this new dynasty, is not long for this world. And in about 1057 or 1060, he dies. But Adelaide is now in a really different position than her two previous widowhoods. Now, she has a whole pack of kids to carry on the line, so she really doesn't need a sperm donor anymore. So she pretty much rules Turin at this point, though her sons are also co-ruling with her in name because that's just how things had to be. Um, but everything that I read indicates that she clearly had a lot of opinions and a lot of power. Um, we have a huge number of super boring uh, but historically very valuable letters written in her name, granting lands, monasteries, castles, all kinds of stuff, all part of a larger game of political manipulation. And we will get back to that in just a minute. Um, she was also, like, not to be fucked with. In 1070, she captured and burned the city of Asti. I mean, you may be familiar with a certain sparkling wine from that region. She burned it to the ground for rebelling against her and so that she could then install her own bishop. 
And every source that I said was like, Adelaide burned Asti to the ground. Like, no one else, not her sons, it was Adelaide. So, woof. Now, what you have to understand about this period of time is that it was a very kind of bananas time in history. Like, we like to think that we understand what it was like back then, and we like to layer easy stories onto the past, like who ruled, what part religion played in daily life, the relationship between church and state. But in fact, it was all a giant confusing shit show and constantly evolving and changing. So who was bishop? Who could place bishops? Who could choose the pope? These were all really big and important questions of the time and had serious political consequences. Hence the burning of Asti to put a bishop in. Like, that sucks, but also made a lot of sense, I'm sure, politically at the time. So at this particular point in time, a lot of moving and shaking was happening, especially around a conflict between the Pope at the time and the Holy Roman Emperor that we mentioned earlier, Henry IV, Bertha's husband. So this would be Adelaide's son-in-law. Now, Henry really didn't get along very well with his wife, and her mama, Adelaide, knew this and was really not happy with him about it. But then the Pope decides to excommunicate Henry, and there's, like, imminent war, and there's cranky peasants, and Henry is, like, kind of screwed. But then his wife, Bertha, uh, despite their differences, despite all attention within the family, she decides to stand by her man. So she goes to her mother, Adelaide of Turin, on his behalf, and Adelaide, well, uh, aside from her vendetta against Asti, it seems like she wasn't totally committed to her grudges, because she not only agreed to allow Henry to travel through her lands, but she accompanied him on a now infamous pilgrimage to Canossa, where Henry was going to go to beg forgiveness from the Pope who was living there at the time. So, have you seen Game of Thrones? So, imagine... Cersei's walk of shame, but like so much worse. So Henry, again, this is the the man who is like the Holy Roman Emperor, puts on a hair shirt, which is like way more uncomfortable than being naked, let's be honest. And he stands barefoot in the snow as a blizzard rages around him. According to contemporary sources that we have for this, he was made to wait like that hair shirt, barefoot, snow for three days until the Pope would see him. So this event, uh, which I read somewhere was called like one of the most dramatic events of the Middle Ages, um, and like, yeah, it sounds like it, uh, the event spawned a German colloquialism, Gang nach Canossa, which is to walk or to go to Canossa, which basically means an act of extreme penitence. And the phrase spans beyond German into French, Finnish, Dutch, Norwegian, Italian, Swedish, and even Hebrew, which should give you some idea of how monumental this moment was in medieval history. So, it does work, and the Pope reverses the excommunication, but then Henry's nobles decide that they're cranky too. His brother-in-law, Rudolf, does his thing, as I described earlier, and just three years later, the Pope excommunicates Henry again. Anyway... Cool story, but let's get back to Adelaide. So apparently she was critical in getting the Pope to reverse this first excommunication. She was a monumental part of this walk to Canossa. She acted as a mediator along with a few other members of their family. This was largely inspired by her daughter from what I can tell, but there was also a bishop, Benzo, great name, sent her a series of letters that encouraged her to support Henry. Um, from our same source, Charles, whose last name I don't like to pronounce, um, notes that, quote, 
It seems an odd choice that this unutterably vulgar charlatan, with his base spaniel fawning, his nauseous flattery, his bragging, his prating abuse and childish reasoning, should be chosen for an office which was presumably delicate. So he's talking about Benzo, Bishop Benzo right there. The fact casts some light on Adelaide's character, somewhat akin to Queen Elizabeth's, perhaps, and on that of her age, the perpetual victim of big phrases and large, high-colored claims. Nor must we underrate Benzo. He was brave and resolute, and endowed with any amount of short-breathed cleverness. The volatile bishop at once set about the task. Here was no place for stern exhortations and reproaches, he tells us. That queen of fishes, that admirable whale, was not to be caught with hook or chain. No, Brother Benzo provided honeyed words, flowers, aromatic herbs, siren voices, and thus, hymning and strumming led her into the net of the faiths. He transcribes four of his letters, which are more than worthy of all he says of them. St. Peter Damien staggers painfully in the rear of these astonishing outbursts. They require to be read in full to be appreciated, although any brief extract will condemn them. In summary, he offers her the rule of Italy at the side of her son-in-law, and he strengthens his argument with rebuses on her name, texts galore adduced with true medieval irrelevance and unconscious profanity, and an imitation litany applied to her. He was successful, for Adelaide joined the king's party, though we may doubt how far she recognized the schismatic pope, and Benzo reported his triumph in a letter to Henry, full of anxious pleading that the king would do whatever Adelaide should declare for. Probably, her motive was dislike of the communal spirit. But it does not seem that she restored Benzo to his diocese, although Albo apparently was in her territory. So, uh, kind of the takeaway from this that I find is, first of all, she's being compared to Queen Elizabeth, which is pretty huge, uh, that Benzo wrote to her specifically to convince her to support her son-in-law, Henry, the uh, Holy Roman Emperor, by implying that she would rule at his side, like rule Italy at his side, which is kind of crazy. Um, and then also it shows us that even though apparently it was within her power to restore Benzo to what apparently had been his previous seat of bishoply power, uh, she didn't. So yeah, I feel like in a world where it's, it's very hard to know much about the personalities of these uh, people of the past, like, again, pretty sure... Adelaide was not to be manipulated or fucked with. So she was also pretty inconsistent in her support of the church. Um, and obviously, like, like we're talking about, there were a lot of dramas happening within the church at this time. Like sometimes she supported the Pope and reforms, other times she didn't. Uh, she did donate to a ton of monasteries and one monk who's called William, just, just William, called her, quote, a woman very devoted to the things of God, most constant in the administration of things, from whose death our fatherland sighs for great pillage committed. So he also, like, in the same letter, says some, like, less than flattering shit about her. So, um, I don't know, maybe he was just trying to, to flatter her in that moment, since apparently she was a woman who responded very well to flattery, not super well to force <laughs> or being told she had to do anything. So Adelaide of Turin died on December 19th. 1091. She and her cousin, uh, Matilda of Tuscany, who I believe was also involved in the whole walk to Canossa, big deal situation, uh, but they are commonly remembered as two of the last great marchionesses of Italy. So 
that's what I got for you today. <laughs> Hopefully it was entertaining and interesting. Um, I feel like the more I learn about Adelaide, the more I'm just like, whoa, uh, she was super intense. I don't think I would have been friends with her, um, but I certainly can appreciate someone who uh, stands up for herself in her own times. So uh, you might want to look up Walk to Canosa. That's spelled C-A-N-O-S-S-A. Schism, like schismatic popes. That's a really interesting one too. S-C-H-I-S-M. Turin, obviously, you should look up because it's a great city in our new home. And um, the Savoy family, which do have a crazy history. That's S-A-V-O-Y-S. Well, thanks for listening, and I will see you again here next time.